Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the extra point is good. Welcome in to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It is a Wednesday. It is August 16th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. We'll make room for Luke Jones with WNST.net to talk all things Baltimore Ravens around 1050. Today, we'll also take your phone calls 1030 and 1115 with the number 602-260-1060. In addition to that, there's a four pack of Diamondbacks tickets on the line for you. Monday, August 21st, the Diamondbacks take on the Texas Rangers. It's ASU night. Fans can purchase a special event ticket package to receive a game ticket and a co-branded ASU D-backs tee. Visit dbacks.com slash ASU to secure your tickets. Once again, that's the Diamondbacks hosting the Rangers 6:40 p.m. on Monday, August 21st, and there's a four-pack of tickets on the line for you, but not quite yet because right now we have to set the scene with today's poll questions and we'll start with the kdos1060.com poll question. You guessed it. It's a win total for the Baltimore Ravens over or under 10 and a half wins and over leads the way at 56% of the vote under trailing at 44%. Yeah, we'll see how this goes. Uh, you know, they've won plenty of regular season games. Last two years, of course, Lamar Jackson has not been healthy the entire season. So we'll see if that changes. Now, he got paid in the offseason five years and $260 million he got paid. And he also, uh, it's believed that he has the best receiving group that he's had in his career as a starting quarterback. Also, he was the second least accurate passer in the NFL last year, according to the metrics people. Only uh, Marcus Mariota was worse. That's not good if you're, that's the only guy you're better than in the NFL. So does it matter who the receivers are? Uh, or is he just an inaccurate quarterback? We'll get those details, those answers from Luke Jones, as I mentioned, around uh, 10.15 today. Let's pop it on over to Twitter at KDUS AM 1060. The 2023 Tennessee Titans over 7.5 wins or under 7.5 wins. Over out in front at 63.6%, under trailing at 36.4%. Yeah, they're definitely making a run here. They, they could have, uh, you know, they could have let Ryan Tannehill go. Uh, he has a $36 million salary cap hit for this year, too, by the way. But uh, he's back and at least for now healthy. But he really hasn't done anything as far as a game and all that goes. Also, there were Derrick Henry trade rumors during the offseason. They did uh, appear, uh, basically drafted uh, their replacements uh, eventually, whenever those might be, uh, in the last draft. So we'll see if... Uh, that actually uh, it actually occurs. They added DeAndre Hopkins in the summer, so they clearly think they're, they're they're making another run here, at least in the AFC South. And 
before last year's disastrous season, which had a ton of injuries and you know, some maybe not so good personnel moves, which resulted in the general manager and other front office people being fired. Uh, but before that, all that happened last year, they had made the playoffs the three consecutive seasons. And, you know, Tannehill and, and you know, certainly uh, and Derrick Henry, at least offensively, uh, were the two biggest reasons why. You know, certainly for this is from an outsider perspective, but it really feels like they're going to be relying on, uh, you know, Mike Vrabel being able to coach because from a talent standpoint, you know, yes, you still have Derrick Henry. Uh, yes, you brought in DeAndre Hopkins, but I think there are some question marks there about his viability as a number one receiver and just kind of how that's all going to unfold. In addition to that, you know, what do you think about Ryan Tannehill as a quarterback? Have they done enough to improve uh, the defense? Vrabel seems to get out of his defense more than maybe uh, what talent is on the field. Yeah, you know, their defense is – there's few teams in the NFL that have a better front front four or front seven, really, than uh, – I wouldn't say front seven because their linebackers are kind of in flux right now. But their defensive line is tremendous. And I can make a really easy case, in fact, pretty close to an inarguable case, that Jeffrey Simmons is the best down defensive lineman in the entire NFL. Uh, dominant the last you – know, more than just last year – Clearly, he was the best guy last year because Aaron Donald did not have nearly as good a season in Los Angeles as he did in previous years. But he's tremendous. They have, you know, Autry came over and he's really good. Uh, another down lineman. They have Landry coming back from the injury. He was really good in the years that they made the playoffs. And then, unfortunately, right before the season started last year, Landry tore his ACL. But he's expected to be back and healthy this year. So they've got – and Bayard, their safety, he's really good too. But other than that, they're deep, they they got some pretty shaky guys. They're, they were last in pass defense in the entire league last year. And I think that's especially alarming because it's not exactly like their schedule was filled with great passers against them. And uh, they allowed 200 and almost 275 yards passing per game. Part of that is because you couldn't run on them. But the other part is you could throw on them whenever you wanted and pretty much wherever you wanted. The Arizona Diamondbacks seemingly had a flair for the dramatics last night with a five-run ninth inning. Cattell Marte had a two-run single. Tommy Fan added a Bam added a double. Guriel singled. Jace Peterson singled. Then you had the Rockies trying to get a ninth inning rally going of their own. Paul Seawald loaded the bases before getting the final two outs to end the game and pick up his 24th save on the season. In all, this means the Diamondbacks are back to 500 and remain two and a half games behind a wild card spot. These games the last two nights have been, quite frankly, unwatchable baseball. Uh, for really both teams, neither of these teams are, you know, obviously Colorado has been bad all year. The Diamondbacks have pretty much sucked since July the 1st. And don't be fooled by, you know, they've won three out of four now. Whoop-de-doo, they beat the Padres twice at home. And they won a game at Colorado that they could have lost. Uh, th this is, you know, just really, really bad baseball. As, as bad as it gets in the major leagues, quite frankly, watching games these last two nights have it's been terrible and uh i'm very glad that you know well maybe i'm not because they go play the padres after this for four games but uh, in a week where the diamondbacks schedule wise you would think have a chance to make some hay 
Uh, one and one at this point, I guess, is kind of the way it should have been because they probably shouldn't have lost on Monday night and they shouldn't have won last night. But I cannot stress enough that this is just terrible baseball for the, both teams. The Dodgers, they're on a roll, winning nine in a row with a 6-2 to two victory last night over the Brewers. Bobby Miller, six innings pitch, one hit, one run, one walk, four strikeouts. Uh, he didn't get the win when they faced the Diamondbacks here last week, but at the time, you had manager Dave Roberts calling it his best outing so far. It really seems like he's starting to build on something here. He's doing okay. They won six of his last seven starts also, which I think is probably the thing the Dodgers are you know, most impressed with, and he was good last night. Now, Milwaukee is not a good offensive team. Usually they just kind of are bad, really bad against left-handed pitchers. Miller's a right-hander, and they couldn't hit him last night either. Uh, so, yeah, he only gave up one run in the six innings last night. Uh, the Dodgers are 13-1 and this month. And uh, they're now a season-high 26 games above 500 for the season at 72-46. and 46. And I would have never imagined this could be a possibility. I still don't think it's going to happen. But they're only four games behind in the loss column, the Braves for the number one seed in the National League. Then you have the Giants clobbering the Rays yesterday 7-0. And the news for the Rays, of course, in the last uh, you know 24 hours or so is that Shane McClanahan will be needing Tommy John surgery. Well, that and you know, Wander Franco may be out for the season, too, with uh, his off-the-field issues. And uh, I know Jeff Passan reported that uh, it's, it's a possibility that Franco will not be playing the rest of the year. And arguably, uh, uh, he's been the best all-around shortstop in the American League this season. Uh, then you have the Astros topping the Marlins yesterday, 6-5. to five. Kyle Tucker, the go-ahead home run in the seventh, as it was for the pitchers. Christian Javier, four and two-thirds, six hits, five runs, one walk, two strikeouts, one home run. And Johnny Cueto, five and a third, seven hits, five runs, two walks, six strikeouts, and two home runs. The Astros, something going on here. Now, Tuve got hurt in that game last night. He's already been on the injured list twice this season. And if he goes on again, they're screwed. Uh, they're already four games behind in the loss column uh, in the uh, in the uh, in the division to the Rangers, who never seem to lose. But then again, anybody that plays the Angels right now, you're not going to lose. Uh, and the uh, the Rangers have taken care of them the last two nights with relative ease, not even relative ease with ease. Uh, so they're going to they're not going to play them again today. So they're not going to lose today. Uh, but uh, you know, Javier is part. It, it, there's there's something not right here in Houston. I mean, even when they're healthy, which hasn't been frequently, quite frankly, uh, really they haven't played a game this season intact health-wise because they lost a couple of starting pitchers early in the season. Uh, some you know, McCullers before the season. Uh, they haven't had the guys they've won out there for any game so far this season. But even when the guys that they expect to be out there at this point are out there, they just have rarely, you know, put together any kind of stretch that makes you think that they're okay above okay or a contender so from a guy that's been on houston obviously i was all year last year and thought that maybe they were figuring it out this year i'm at the point now where i just don't think they're going to figure it out at all this year unless there's some kind of startling turnaround in the next five or six weeks uh, you mentioned uh, the Astros con uh, continuing that series with the Marlins. It will be Justin Verlander on the mound, 7-6, 3.19 ERA, 92 strikeouts. And uh, Jesus Lazardo, 
for the Marlins. 8-7, and 3.91 ERA and 157 strikeouts. Also, you mentioned the Rangers and how their lead is growing in that division as they face the Angels. It was a 7-3 to win yesterday. Jordan Montgomery, 6 innings, 6 hits, 1 run, 9 strikeouts. Lucas Giolito, 6 innings, 7 hits, 4 runs, 2 walks, 5 strikeouts, and 1 home run. Shocking. The Rangers uh, trade deadline addition beat uh, something that the Angels did at the trade deadline. And the Angels have been obviously terrible. And if anybody's surprised about this, you shouldn't be. Uh, you know, I warned you before it ever happened. Uh, you know, they're, they're just awful. Um, you know, they're a season low under 500 right now. And they are, they're done. I mean, if, you know, I can't imagine... This is impressing Shohei Otani, and uh, basically you know, what little farm system they had left, which wasn't really good to start with, they traded their remaining prospects, the majority of them, to make a run before the trade deadline, and they've been absolutely terrible since then, um, and uh, you know they lost their prospects. So you know, another brilliant decision by the Angels, this in a continuing series of uh, – Stupid decisions from several different front office people. They've gone through a lot of people and managers, front office people, etc. And it's just been a disaster for almost a decade. Uh, yeah, so over in the American League, you have the Orioles at 74 and 46, the Rangers at 72 and 48, the Twins at 63 and 58. In the wild card spots, the Rays 72 and 50, the Astros 69 and 52, and the Blue Jays at 67 and 54. On the outside looking in, the Mariners two games back, the Red Sox three games back, the Yankees six and a half games back, and they didn't even bother writing down where the Angels are. Over in the National League, the Braves 77 and 42, the Dodgers 72 and 46, the Brewers 65 and 55. NL Wild Card, the Phillies at 65 and 55, the Giants 64 and 56, and the Marlins 63 and 58. On the outside looking in, the Cubs one game back, the Reds one game back, and the aforementioned Diamondbacks two and a half games back as they will be on the mound this afternoon with Slade Sassoni against Austin Gomer. Yeah, um, we'll see. I, like I said, I'm just going to be happy when this series is over because I'm sick of watching bad baseball. Well, the Rangers will be coming to town next week. They'll be taking on the Diamondbacks in ASU night Monday, August 21st. Uh, you can purchase tickets in this special event ticket package to receive a game ticket and co-branded ASU Diamondbacks tee. Visit dbacks.com slash ASU to secure your tickets now. That's dbacks.com slash ASU to secure your tickets for Monday, August 21st as the D-backs are hosting the Rangers first pitch 6.40 p.m. We'll have a four-pack of tickets later on. On in the show we have to step aside though because luke jones of wnst.net set to join us on the other side talking all things baltimore ravens todd munkin is he going to turn things around offensively for the baltimore ravens we'll dive into it next with luke here on the extra point on kdos am 1060 Need social information about KDUS AM 1060? Try KDUS1060.com at KDUS AM 1060 on Twitter and Facebook.com slash KDUS AM 1060.
Welcome back to Extra Point on this Wednesday, August 16th. Bob Camp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. We're popping on out to the KDOS hotline. It's time for a Ravens conversation. Luke Jones with WNST.net. As always, appreciate the time on the program, Luke. It's Bob and Kayla. How are you? Doing great. How are you guys doing? We're doing fantastic. Excited to get this Baltimore conversation started. Lots has happened over the offseason here. So let's start with Lamar Jackson. Of course, the big deal for him gets done. Five years, $260 million with $135 million fully guaranteed. With this new deal, with new wide receivers, with a new offensive coordinator, have you noticed a difference about Lamar in camp, whether it be physically, mentally, or leadership role, uh, just precision, anything that you've noticed here from Lamar? I think I don't think it's been anything dramatic, Caleb, but I think you do see Lamar Jackson a little more at ease than he was the last couple of years. And look, Lamar always said that he wasn't thinking about the contract, he wasn't thinking about the contract. How could you not be thinking about the contract? Because that's what everyone's asking you about every time you're in front of the media. That's what anyone, anytime you're out in public, fans are saying, resign, we want you to stay in Baltimore, all that. So I think now that that part of the conversation has been put to rest, you do see a Lamar Jackson that's a little more at ease. I do think he uh, is energized by uh, a new offensive coordinator uh, in Todd Munkin, uh, a new offense that, well, I, he quipped early in the offseason that he, he was looking to throw for 6,000 yards this year. And it was a joke. Uh, I don't think you're going to see the Ravens suddenly become a pass-heavy team, but they certainly are going to be uh, a more prominent team passing the football than they've been under Greg Roman in recent years. So, I think he's excited about that. He's certainly excited about having Odell Beckham Jr. and Jay Flowers, their first-round pick, uh, a healthy Rashad Bateman. So, and, oh, yeah, an all-pro tight end, Mark, and Mark Andrews has been his go-to guy. So he has no shortage of weapons. I think he's excited about that. Anyone who's covered Lamar Jackson though, over the course of his career knows that, yes, he's this historic rushing quarterback, but he'd be the first to tell you he loves to throw the football. He'd love to sit back there and throw from the pocket. So, I don't know if it's going to be a dramatic shift, but, but I do expect a shift. Uh, you know, could be some, some growing pains and a work in progress a little bit here and there. But I think overall he is very excited uh, about where he is in his career, certainly with the contract and uh, what he expects to be a shift in this Ravens offense. Uh, okay, Luke. So we've been talking for years about this run-the-ball mentality, defense, really good special teams, been kind of the formula for them to win. How much does that mentality and the scheme offensively change with Monken? That's what's, uh, I mean, I think that's what the great question is here, Bob. I mean, I, I think you look at what Todd Monken did at Georgia, uh, and, you know, I'm not a huge college football guy, but I watch enough to know that the Georgia Bulldogs won a couple titles because, well, they ran the ball really well, and they featured their tight ends prominently. That sounds very familiar to what yeah. the Ravens did under Greg Roman, but I think with you look at what they did from a personnel standpoint, Getting Odell Beckham Jr., spending another first-round pick on a wide receiver in Bay Flowers. They added Nelson Aguilar even to be their number four wide receiver. It's clear that they're committed to opening up their passing game. I think you are going to see a lot more 11 personnel, more three wide sets. Try to take advantage of the fact that if you can get uh, the defense in a lighter box in the middle of the field, that'll help the running game. That'll help Lamar Jackson. So... I don't think it's necessarily going to be dramatic. I mean, I don't think they're moving away from running the ball. I don't think they're moving away from play action, but I think they are going to show much more of a willingness to spread out, and they certainly have the pieces uh, at wide receiver, at least on paper. Uh, again, we have to see what Odell Beckham 
looks like after a couple ACL surgeries over the last three years, but he's looked good in practice. Uh, I will say that much, but you know, I, I think that's what's interesting about this because I think in, in Baltimore, and Bob, you and I, I know we've talked about it over the years in our conversation, it's kind of that chicken or the egg thing. Was it Greg Roman holding back Lamar Jackson, or was it Greg Roman also considered the optimal fit for Lamar Jackson and accent, you know, accented what he did so well and maybe hid his deficiencies a little bit more? I think we're going to find out uh, a little more clarity in that regard, uh, and certainly Lamar Jackson has skills to throw the ball. I'm not suggesting otherwise, but... I think there is I, – I, I certainly have curiosity to see it, – it's going to be different, but is it going to be dramatically different? That's where I'm not quite convinced that we're going to suddenly see this thing become the greatest show on turf or anything crazy. To that point, it does seem like this is a huge year for Lamar Jackson and all eyes will be on him to see how this offense does roll, but probably not trying to stray too far away from identity with the run game. J.K. Dobbins activated off the pup list. What does that mean for his participation upcoming? Also with the speculation about him wanting a new deal, uh, where to talk stand on that. Then you still have Gus Edwards and Justice Hill on the roster as well. Yeah, and they also added Melvin Gordon at the start of training camp, another name, at least in the mix, uh, for, for a roster spot, a former Pro Bowl running back. But you know, I, I think the J.K. Dobbins situation, it, it's been interesting because it's been a hot topic in Baltimore. But because you've had Josh Jacobs, you've had Saquon Barkley, you've had all these, you know, Dalvin Cook, who just signed with the Jets, you've had these more accomplished, you know, I don't want to say Dobbins is a complete unknown, but more, you know, guys that are household names and have been more accomplished at the NFL level, whereas J.K. Dobbins should look. He's averaged 5.9 yards per carry in his career, but he's missed roughly half of his uh, possible games in the NFL because of that awful knee injury he had a couple years ago. He wants a new contract. He wants more money. Uh, I think the Ravens are, were willing to engage in, in some long-term contract discussions. But, uh, you know, from what I've gathered, what, uh, what his agent and what Dobbins is seeking, I mean, he's looking for uh, a top-shelf con- contract, and I think the Ravens, probably like any other team, uh, if they had a chance to, to sign Dobbins today, would say, hey, you haven't been on the field. You've got to put this together for 16 or 17 games. We're not blaming you for getting hurt, but you can't expect us to make that kind of a commitment. So make no mistake, yes, he was on the PUP list. This is a hold-in, uh, and, and I I think realistically all along, it wasn't going to move the needle for him to get a deal now. But I think what it did for him was probably mitigate a little bit of early training camp injury risk that that just comes with, hey, you're out on the football field. We all know players can get hurt. So he came back this week. He has, what, still another three and a half weeks to go until the start of the regular season. So uh, he's, he's been in the facility. He's in good shape. There's no questions there. And I do think he's going to be their feature back. Uh, and uh, that's another aspect of a Todd Munkin offense. Do they feature Dobbins a little more? And, and, and in Roman's system, it was much more of a timeshare. So, yeah, the Ravens are excited about J.K. Dobbins, but yeah, I don't get the sense that there was any traction whatsoever in whatever contract talks they did have. I think he's asking for the moon at this point, and look, that's his prerogative, but you guys have followed the running back market just like I have. Uh, going back the last 10 years, really, but let alone the last this recent offseason, uh, he's not getting that until he at least goes out and shows he can put up elite running back production for a, at least 15, 16 games you know, over the course of a full season. And unfortunately, he hasn't been able to do that. Uh, you know, hasn't been healthy for a full season since his rookie year back in 2020. But he'll, he'll be a big part of this offense. And I think they, they love to have him for right now. But his long-term status is still very much up in the air. 
Okay, so let's flip this to the defensive side. Former Cardinal Calais Campbell left for Atlanta via free agency. How much is he going to be missed? I, I think they're going to miss him, Bob. And I, I don't know if it's so much that they're going to miss his play on the field dramatically, although he was still one of their very best defensive players last year. And, you know, they, they like their young defensive linemen, but Calais was still playing a ton of snaps for them last year. Uh, so I mean, it came down to money as far as why they didn't want to keep him, didn't want to guarantee him $7 million, which I think Atlanta ultimately gave him. But, uh, you know, they, they have a good defensive line. Uh, I think they'll miss his presence from a run-stopping standpoint, I'm sure. Uh, and certainly they could do all the different stunts and line games with him setting up some of his teammates. But I think they'll miss him more from a leadership standpoint, you know, just to, you know, because of you guys know what kind of man he is. Off the field, you know, certainly a, a big locker room presence uh, in such a positive way for the young guys. So, so they'll miss him. I, I don't think their interior defensive line is in bad shape whatsoever, but they do have questions on the edge. And not that Calais was rushing from the edge very much at this point in his career, but uh, their pass rush is a is a, a question mark at, at the very least. And you know, from that standpoint, Calais is still able to, to give them some some production there, some contributions there, even if it didn't show up on the stat sheet. So, uh, you know, again, I think ideally they would have liked to have been able to bring him back, but probably uh, didn't want to commit $7 million guaranteed to someone who I think it's going to be uh, 37 off the top of my head in September. So uh, we, we know Clay has been around a long time, that's for sure. Luke Jones, WNST.net, talking to all things Baltimore Ravens right here on KDOS AM 1060 in the extra point. So David Ajobo, uh, he's He's ready. He's back now from that Achilles injury in which the Ravens still took him in the first round a couple of years ago. So how has he looked in camp, and where does it seemingly look like he's going to be fitting into the rotation? I mean, they're going to need him to pop. I mean, they need him and Adafi Ole, their first-round pick from two years ago, who's kind of been up and down. At times, he looks like he's ready to step forward, and then other times, I mean, second half of last season, he kind of fell out of favor and was you know, kind of fourth or fifth in the pecking order of their outside linebacker rotation. But uh, Ajabo, you certainly see the promise in practice. He's fully healthy. You know, last year was essentially a redshirt year for him. He got in a couple games at the very end of the season. You know, I, I think something important to remember about him, uh, I mean, this is a kid who played basically one year at Michigan where he really played. So he's still raw. You know, he's still someone that's going to make mistakes. The preseason opener, he got caught crashing inside a couple times. But really strong hands. Certainly, you know, for someone as young as him, has appears to have a plan as a pass rusher. So he seems a little more advanced compared to your typical rookie or second-year player. But they're really counting on him because, you know, Oway and Ajabo, other than that, the only other guy that really has any experience is Tyus Bowser, who's more of a Sam outside linebacker. And he's on the, the non-injury list, non-football injury list right now with a knee issue. So they need their pass rush to pop because, uh, you know, and you might get to this in a moment, but news today that Marlon Humphrey going uh, having yeah. foot surgery, their top corner. They need their pass rush to really step up. Now, I don't think that's going to be a long-term injury, but I doubt he's going to be ready for the start of the season. So they need those two edge guys to really grow up quickly because you know they're they're really putting all their eggs in that basket in terms of their pass. In fact, I was going to get Humphrey next. Uh, you know, with the foot injury, foot surgery reportedly. How much do they need him on the field? Bob, other than Lamar Jackson, and that's the obvious, for any team that has a franchise quarterback worth of salt, that's the player you can least afford to lose, right? Marlon Humphrey's that guy because you look at where their corner group, cornerback group is right now. Marcus Peters departed, and look, the Ravens 
could have brought him back. I mean, he, he, he was out there on the market until recently when he signed with Las Vegas. But they had felt that with him being the loud personality that he has been, and that can be a good thing at times, and that's a not-so-good thing at times, they felt maybe perhaps you know, his skills were at a point where maybe that wouldn't be the best fit if he's not going to be an every-down player anymore. So they elected to move on. They signed Rocky Yassine right after the draft. Uh, a guy who started for the Colts, started for the Raiders, but he's also had some nagging injuries. He's been out with a knee injury for a couple weeks now. He's supposed to be back very soon, but you look at the rest of their quarterback depth chart, it is unproven recent draft picks. It is a couple veteran special team journeyman types. Uh, their quarterback group is not in good shape right now whatsoever. And I would have told you uh, yesterday if we had had this conversation, even before, because Humphrey practice, he talked to the media yesterday. Apparently this is a lingering foot issue. I don't have any detail beyond that. But I would have told you yesterday they needed another corner. So really, in a perfect world, they might need two corners right now. But realistically speaking, who's out there? So it's it's unsettling for them right now at that position. And again, it's the early indications are he's not going to be out too long. But... Well, they play Cincinnati week two. Now, Bill Grow and those wide receivers uh, going up against what this current group of cornerbacks looks like on paper. All I've got to say is I go back to what I said about the pass rush. They better be able to get after Burrow because uh, I just it, it's hard to like their chances too much uh, with this cornerback group that they have right now that was clearly leaning on their all-pro at the top of the pecking order to, to you know, shut down one side of the field. Right now it's uh, a big question. Who's even going to be lining up, let alone if you're going to have a great deal of trust in them? Luke Jones, WNST.net, right here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. You mentioned Cincinnati in Week 2. Can they push the Bengals in this AFC North division? I mean, I think they can. I mean, the reality is, I mean, they, they pushed them last year, even with Lamar Jackson having missed the last month of the season. I mean, we saw what happened uh, in the wild card game, how the Ravens almost pulled that out. Had it not been for Tyler Huntley fumbling at the goal line, who knows what happened the rest of that game. But, uh, I mean, they're going to be right there with them. And, and I think as talented and as great as Cincinnati is in certain areas, I think you do look at other areas of their roster where they have lost some players here, which is inevitable when some of your stars, you get to a point where you need to start paying them or you're getting to that point where you're close to paying them. So, you know, they have their deficiency, the Ravens, have their their elements of their roster that are great and then other elements of the roster that are questionable. So uh, I think it's just going to be as pivotal and it sounds simplistic that those two two head-to-head matchups are just going to be so critical. That's why uh, this news about Humphrey and, you know, they're saying right now he could be back for the start of the season, but I don't know about you guys, a foot issue for a corner, you got to be careful with that early in the year. You don't want to push him back too soon. So they don't have him for week two. That certainly... Uh, hurts the Ravens' chances. But in a, in a big-picture sense, uh, as it pertains to the rest of this division, I, I think the Ravens are right there with Cincinnati. You give the Bengals, I think you have to begrudgingly, if you're a Baltimore fan, give the Bengals the edge because they've been that team the last two years. But it's not as though the Ravens haven't been right there with them. And I expect it. And even going back to the passing game and what they're doing with Lamar and Todd Munkin and this offense, they probably do have a higher ceiling. At the same time, there is that unknown element that, you know, maybe your floor is a little bit lower as well. So we'll see how it plays out, but I expect them to give the Bengals uh, you know, everything they can handle before it's all said and done. Getting getting to the postseason, that hasn't been the problem for the Ravens, but you know, for a while now, even before Lamar, winning games and advancing yeah. in the postseason has been an issue. 
What has to change in that area for them in the postseason to have success this year? Uh, I mean, I think it really, uh, and this is something we've talked about for years now. It, to me, it really is that passing game. And it's, again, not that he has to go out there and throw it 55 times, but I, I think when you just look at the reality of the landscape of the AFC with the quarterback and the offenses in this conference, I think you have to have an offense that has a higher ceiling than what they've had. And let's face it, their formula of running the ball, even at a historic uh, level, uh, like they did under Greg Roman a couple years ago, playing good defense uh, and you know play action, but a conservative passing attack, that's done extremely well for them in the regular season. But I think in the postseason, you have to be able to play at a higher level with your passing game. In this game, you know, in, in the modern NFL, I, I sincerely believe that. So I think that's really what the, you know, I think that's the last piece for them for Lamar Jackson in this passing game to take it to the next level. And you just said it, you know, regular season results, the Ravens have done that, but they have one playoff win since the 2000, you know, going back to the beginning of the 2015 season. So, you know, it's not just Lamar Jackson, it's really all the players in this era. Justin Tucker is the last player left from their Super Bowl 47 team uh, back in 2012. So uh, it's time for this group to step forward in January. And I do think having a higher ceiling on offense. Uh, if they're going to break through, that's going to be a huge reason why, in my opinion. Luke, we always appreciate you taking some time for us, and I'm sure we'll be catching up with you throughout the uh, season as it rolls along. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. Take care, Bob and Kayla. Thank you. Once again, Luke Jones there, WNST.net. Always a wealth of information. And uh, certainly we will dive a little bit more into the Ravens on the other side of the break as we break down the schedule. There is a Week 8 contest here at State Farm Stadium against the Cardinals for the Baltimore Ravens. So we'll do that next. They're going to win that game. That's my prediction. You know, um, if everyone is healthy for the Ravens, yes, I agree. Even if Tyler Huntley's the quarterback, they're going to win that game. Who's their backup to Tyler Huntley? (laughs) Sorry, don't have the depth chart handy here. My bad. Uh, So we'll get into that on the other side of the break. 602-260-1060 if you'd like to chime in as well. It is the Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. Online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Tune in weekdays to the Sports Zone with Bob Kemp from 9 to 10 a.m. on KTUS AM 1060, KTUS1060.com, and with the KTUS 1060 app. KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. I don't think I've mentioned it yet this week. Bad on me. There's a $100 gift certificate potentially on the line for you by downloading the KDOS 1060 app. It's provided by Superbook Sports. So just register when you download the app and follow along with the listening instructions for how you can become eligible to potentially win that $100 gift certificate now through the end of the month. Thanks to Luke Jones from WNS. Take, take your whole time out here. I think you're a bit a little hardier. You've only been on one day this week. So <laughs> yeah, come on. That's fair. That's fair. But I completely forgot about it on Monday. (laughs) 
Okay, well, you shouldn't be fessing up on that stuff. So yeah. but that's okay. I mean, it's only one day. Give me a break. <laughs> Fair enough. So I'll mention it a few G- more times yourself, to make up for it. A, g- yeah, give yourself a break on that. All right. Fair enough. We'll do that. Uh, thanks to Luke Jones, WNST.net, uh, for joining us in the previous segment. And if you missed it, you can podcast that, of course. So let's continue on with the Ravens topics here and the schedule. Things get off uh, pretty easy, I would say, with week one versus the Texans. Then, as Luke alluded to, week two on the road at Cincinnati, week three versus the Colts, week four at the Browns, week five at the Steelers, week six at the Titans. Yes, that's three weeks on the road. Week seven versus the Lions, week eight at the Cardinals, week nine versus the Seahawks, and I'll stop there. That Tennessee game's in London, if I'm not mistaken, so there's a little, you know, the altered, you know, little different there, the difference there. I actually think this Humphrey injury is a really big deal. Uh, as you mentioned, the first game on the road at Houston, but they might throw a lot, so that might, might be a problem there. Then at Cincinnati, Indianapolis at home, at Cleveland, at Pittsburgh. So the four of their first six games are on the road, and three of those games are against division opponents. That's half your division schedule right there. Uh, so the Humphrey injury could be a big deal. I got a lot of questions about their defensive front, uh, which you know, Lou addressed a couple. Luke addressed a couple of those things too. So that between that and the fact that you know, your best corner, who is a really good player in Humphrey, may not be available for at least some of the start of the season, I think this is all particularly alarming. Uh, after that first stretch of the season, though, where they have all these road games or not at home or in a foreign country, uh, they do have a stretch of four out of five at home with the one road game here against Arizona. So I'm sure they feel pretty good about that stretch. But then they have another stretch uh, a little later on in the season from November uh, the 5th through the 26th where they have three straight at home. And then, but that's followed by a game at the Chargers. And those four games are against Seattle, Cleveland, Cincinnati, and then Los Angeles against the Chargers. So that's a really tough stretch. And then the last three games of the season are brutal. Uh, at San Francisco, that's a Monday night game. And then they play the next, you know, they're, they're back at home, but it's a short week against Miami and then the final game of the regular season against Pittsburgh and you know I think that uh, I think we all could agree that uh, over the last you know, 20 years uh you know, maybe even 10 you know, but maybe even 20 but last several years Pittsburgh and Baltimore has been the most physical matchup in the NFL yeah, that is absolutely a brutal stretch. And I know you don't think much of the Jaguars, but I guess if you are thinking that they're decent, it is a road game. So week 15 at the Jaguars to include that here. I think this Ravens schedule is just brutal. I think it is. Um, I think we're kind of tipping, at least I'm, you know, I'm, <laughs> like I'm exactly tipping my hand. In fact, I've said for a few weeks running here that I'm just not a believer in the Ravens and, Nothing has happened, whether it be the Dobbins contract situation or the obviously the injury to Humphrey this morning. And then I, as I mentioned, and, and once again, to just repeat that, you know, I've got real, I got real questions about the, your defensive front. Now, don't have any questions about their linebackers. Uh, you know, certainly Roquan Smith turned that whole room around last year and 
He had made even Patrick Queen a, an above-average NFL player, which before that I think he was a disappointment. Uh, so I'm not don't have a problem there, but you know their whole thing is you know stopping the run and you know playing from ahead and rushing the quarterback and you know they they they're so they've brought in pass rushers. They brought in Jadavion Clowney the other day, yeah. uh, who's not even a pass rusher. Uh, quite frankly, he means more of a run stuffer than he is a pass rusher. One of the biggest misconception in the N- misconceptions in the NFL for several years running. They brought him in for he's actually been with two, three different teams and workouts in the last week. And to my knowledge, apparently he's been so unimpressive. He hasn't signed with anybody or he's asking for too much money and has been unimpressive. Yeah, last year, I mean, the Ravens, uh, it was a bad recipe, right, for playing from behind because they were so heavily reliant on the run game. Then the defense really couldn't be in a position to play from behind either. So that was a a recipe that I'm not sure, you know, at least defensively has been fixed. Questions still remain here on the connection that Lamar Jackson is going to have with the upgraded wide receiving core. I think this is a huge – I know that the contract has already been given to him and so the Ravens are all in on Lamar but I think that this certainly has a lot to of intrigue behind it as to what Luke pointed out was it a Greg Roman offense that was holding Lamar back or was it a system that really fit Lamar Jackson well I don't think he's an accurate quarterback and I've been saying this since he was at Louisville Uh, so it's not like I've just come up with this opinion in the last 10 minutes and last year he was the second most inaccurate quarterback target wise by the metrics people that figure these things out. And uh, those numbers, their numbers passed the eye test for me. Uh, the only guy that was worse in the NFL accuracy-wise last year was Marcus Mariota. Also, I think they're going to really miss Calais Campbell in that defensive front. And he played, he might have set a record for playing in the highest percentage of snaps by a 35, 36-year-old player ever. Uh, and uh, he's gone. And they, I don't think they've sufficiently replaced him. Numbers to win the AFC North, the Bengals plus 150, the Ravens plus 210, the Browns plus 400, and the Steelers plus 470. If you want to take a shot on the Ravens to win the Super Bowl, it is 18 to 1. We'll, of course, answer the win-loss total question around 1130 today. Still time for you to cast your vote over at KDOS1060.com. It's the BMW Championship from Olympia Fields. We'll dive into the PGA Tour next. It's all happening here on this Wednesday, August 16th in the Extra Point. We'll do what's best for the team, and we'll do what's best for you. The Rich Eisen Show, coming to you weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Here on KDUS AM 1060 and KDUS1060.com. Wrapping up our number one of Extra Point here on KDUS AM 1060, online at KDUS1060.com and with the KDUS 1060 app, powered by Superbook Sports. Turning our attention to the PGA Tour, it's the BMW Championship being played at Olympia Fields Country Club in Illinois. Remember here, we're in the FedEx Cup playoff portion of the season here, so we're down to just 50 golfers. It's another no-cut event. Uh, The top 30 will advance to the Tour Championship next week. Uh, The other thing to note here, if you are trying to look at past 
uh, past history of this championship, uh, don't do that because the event has moved around to different golf courses. So you have Patrick Camp- Cantlay, who is the back-to-back defending champion, but he won at 20, 24, 25, 26 under par. It was a birdie fest in those particular courses that he played. The BMW Championship was held uh, in 2020 at Olympia Fields, and it was a much tougher golf course. It played really firm. I can't imagine that it's going to play as firm as it did in 2020, but certainly I'm excited to see there be a really good, solid test of golf this week here where you had John Rahm beating Dustin Johnson in a playoff back in 2020. Um, So when you're looking instead at what direction to go in terms of what statistics to see and what kind of golfer you would like to to have a chance here this week, I think you do have to look into driving distance. I do think that that's going to be an important factor for this type of golf course that's par 70, 7,366 yards. I do think strokes gained approach, strokes gained around the green. And then when you're looking as well of putting surfaces, it's a bent POA mix here. At the top of the board, it's Rory McIlroy at plus 650, Scotty Scheffler at plus 700, John Rahm at plus 900. Then you have Patrick Cantley at 10 to 1, Xander Shoffley at 16 to 1, and Victor Hovland at 16 to 1. The narrative has been for so long, Scotty Scheffler is hitting the ball as good as anyone has. It's the putter that's struggling for him. Well, the last couple of times he's teed it up here, there's been a little bit of a drop-off in the strokes gained uh, off the tee, strokes gained total for the week. The putting is still having some issues, so Scotty's trying to try to figure out how to marry that all together. Rory McIlroy is actually the one who's playing the most consistent out of this quote-unquote big three. John Rahm lost strokes, the most strokes he's ever lost in round number one off the tee last week so he's going to have to get that driver uh, fixed and ready to go here for Olympia Fields obviously I already mentioned he did win this tournament in 2020 I'm going a little further down the board though and I'm going with Victor Hovland at 16 to 1 he's ranked 6th in total driving 19th in driving distance uh, and Bent and Poa seems to be kind of like a better surface for him putting putting is always a bit of a question mark short game a little bit of a question mark for Vic but if he's hitting the ball well but birdies uh it's not going to be a birdie fest here maybe victor hovland gets things done i'm also going keegan bradley in a top 20 thinking that he can kind of get something uh rolling ahead of the Ryder cup and try to punch his ticket into that Ryder cup to show the captain that he's ready to be on the team that's a plus 140 bet hour two is next